Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica, TV voice of the Memphis Grizzlies and your host for the program. This is episode 19 of season two, and our show being brought to you today by the Hoop City Basketball Club. You know, since 2005, they have held as their mission to assist young student-athletes in grades 1 through 12 in developing a strong work ethic with an emphasis on discipline, responsibility, and accountability. Hoop City has helped young men be great on the court and in the community. Their alumni include major college and NBA players. Now, if you'd like more information on how to get your young person involved with this great sports and character building club, all you have to do is log on to HoopCityBC.com. You can also follow Hoop City Basketball Club on Twitter. Their handle is at HoopCityBC. As they say, it's in our blood. It's who we are in Hoop City. Got a really good show lined up for you today because we are bringing back a friend of the program that we had last year, uh, and that's Brian Anderson, one of the voices of the NBA on TNT. He will be in Memphis for the MLK Day game, uh, and that's been kind of a perennial assignment for him. Now, we will have local coverage on Valley Sports Southeast, but Turner Sports will be in for the MLK Day game against the Chicago Bulls. Brian Anderson will call it along with Grant Hill. Uh, really fun conversation. I've known Brian for a number of years. We've been and continue to be obviously good friends. Uh, and this is a conversation that just kind of free flowed into all kinds of things, including talking about his broadcast partners, uh, how he called uh, the Steph Curry three-point record. Uh, at Madison Square Garden with Reggie Miller by his side. Interesting conversation about that. And he also tells us a very interesting story about Steph Curry that you're going to want to hear, that I've, I've not heard this anywhere else, and it comes right from the horse's mouth, as it were. And so that's Brian Anderson. He's coming up as our friend of the program. Got some Petey's points, of course, but uh, we will start things off as we always do with That Was the Week That Was. So on Monday, the Grizzlies start a two-game road trip, and they're going back-to-back. They go to Brooklyn to take on the Nets, one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference, and uh, a team that a lot of people think are going to be in the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, They have James Harden. They have Kevin Durant healthy to them. Kyrie Irving cannot play in games in New York because of the various local mandates that they have in place. They're going to bring him uh, to play on the road, uh, in, in municipalities that don't have the same restrictions that New York has. Uh, but you've got Kevin Durant, James Harden. Brooklyn had lost the, two games in a row. They had gone like 33 games before they lost consecutive games, uh, way deep in the season. And they were losing two. They had lost two in a row. Kevin Durant came out publicly in the game before this one and said, you know, our, our effort is terrible. You know, we, we can't be this way. Uh, he started calling out his teammates. And you really figured that on Monday night, the Grizzlies come calling and Kevin Durant's going to go off. Uh, and you really expected that Brooklyn was going to bring an A-level effort into this game. They did for a quarter, maybe the first half, but then the Grizzlies took over in the third quarter. And I was frankly disappointed in the Nets in their lack of competitive spirit. On the flip side, I was exceptionally proud of the Grizzlies with their competitive spirit. Uh, Killian Tilly getting his first career start. Kyle Anderson into health and safety protocols. So that opened the door for Killian Tilly to get a start. Went scoreless. But again, it was the John Morant show. Ja with his 10th 
game as a Grizzly of 30 points, five boards, five assists. The specific numbers, 36, 8, and 6 for John Morant. And the Grizzlies go wire to wire in this game over Brooklyn, 118 to 104. Grizzlies led by as many as 28. This game was never tied. Now, I mean, Durant had uh, kind of a, a pedestrian Kevin Durant night, 26 points, did not shoot it particularly well, only 8 of 24 from the floor, 2 of 8 from 3. His night was primarily at the free throw line where he went 8 for 8. James Harden, a forgettable night for him, 19 points, uh, 5 of 14 from the floor, did get to the free throw line eight times, made seven of those. But Santi Aldama rejected one of his three-point tries, and James Harden at that point pretty much folded up his tent. Now the Grizzlies got out to that 28-point lead, and the Brooklyn bench started to uh, started to close the gap a little bit. Cam Thomas came in, De'Ron Sharp came in as well. Uh, but the Grizzlies were able to make enough plays down the stretch to hold them off. Massive night for the Grizzlies' backcourt. Desmond Bain, John Morant combining for 65 points in the ballgame. Desmond Bain with 29, had eight boards, two steals, continues to make winning basketball plays. Surprise of the night, Jarrett Culver returning from health and safety protocols, puts in 30 minutes of work and drops 12 points on the Brooklyn Nets. Another strong game off the bench from Brandon Clark with 16, Tyus Jones with a dozen off the bench, five boards, five assists. This was a game that you're thinking, okay, this, this is going to be a really, really tough one. And the Grizzlies turned it into a laughter, laugh, laugher, easy for me to say, uh, outscoring the Nets 40-26 to 26 in the third quarter. So the Grizzlies get to 24-14, and 14, and they are rolling. And now you go into Cleveland on the second of a back-to-back. And you know Cleveland is having themselves a fantastic year. And big kudos to J.B. Bickerstaff, who obviously had coached the Grizzlies, and the change was made to, to move on from him and, and hire Taylor Jenkins. I'm very happy for J.B. J.B.'s a straight shooter, good guy. And the, their front office has done a good job of getting him young talent. Evan Mobley is fantastic as a rookie. Jarrett Allen, we all knew how good he was with Brooklyn, and I think he really adds something to this Cavaliers team. And now Kevin Love can come in off the bench. Darius Garland, who had been missing games because of health and safety protocols, would come back for the game on Tuesday night. Back-to-back for the Grizzlies, tough travel. Uh, when, when you play in New York, you can't fly into any of the New York airports. So I'm, I'm guessing that they flew from Newark uh, to Cleveland. So it's a long bus ride out to Newark. Uh, and then it's, it's not exactly a short bus ride, from Cleveland's airport into the downtown. Grizzlies, a little bit of a struggle early. Cleveland's size was causing them problems early in this ballgame, and Cleveland gets out to an 11-point lead. Grizzlies also dealing with the fact that Taylor Jenkins is not with the team because he is attending the memorial service for his late father-in-law. So Brad Jones is coaching. Darko Ryakovich, who normally is the lead assistant, takes over when Taylor, if Taylor gets ejected from a game, let's say, which has happened. Um... He's not available because he's in health and safety protocols. So, you know, that's what's amazing about this team. They, they just find a way to win. And John Morant, big layup down the stretch, a fourth quarter for him with 10 points, 26 for the game. So his streak of 30-point games ends, but uh, he has 26. And what was great to see in this ball game was that Jaron Jackson went for 22 points. Uh, he had a very forgettable five-point night in Brooklyn. And Jaron came back and – understood that with the size of Mobley and Allen, 
that he needed to go strong to the rack, and and he did a very good job of that. Grizzlies finished with 58 paint points in this game, and uh, again, coming up with a number of offensive rebounds. They really limited their turnovers. The Grizzlies only nine turnovers for the night, and even though the Grizzlies didn't shoot well from three, Cleveland didn't either. Grizzlies made nine, Cavaliers made 10, and the Grizzlies overall shot a better percentage, 47% to 44%. Grizzlies, another recovery from a double-digit deficit. Try saying that three times real fast. Uh, That is the most in in the league this year. Grizzlies were down 11. They came back, and they go on to win it. 110 to 106 of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Grizzlies now 25 and 14 on the season. The Cavaliers are 21 and 17. So the Grizzlies continue to win. That is now six in a row for the Memphis Grizzlies. They are one of the hottest teams in the NBA outside of the Chicago Bulls, who are red hot as well. Grizzlies continue to put distance between themselves and the rest of the Western Conference. Grizzlies fourth in the West as we record this. That was the week that was. Let's get to some Petey's points. Uh, Petey's point number one, and I thank you to all of you who have reached out to me via social media, uh, have called, have texted, asking me how I'm doing. I am still in healthy safety protocols. Uh, minimum five days of isolation. Uh, I, I feel fine. Some very, very minor cold-like symptoms, maybe uh, some sniffles and uh, you know, a cough every once and again. But other than that, feeling really good. Brevin Knight is is asymptomatic. Uh, We are testing every day, and when we meet the bars that the league has set out for us to meet in terms of negative tests and CT levels, we'll be back as soon as we possibly can. It's frustrating not being able to do the games, particularly when the Grizzlies are playing so well. Um, but we'll, we'll get back as, as soon as the tests and, uh, and the protocols will allow us to come back. Kudos to Rob Fisher and Michael Wallace for holding down the fort on commentary. Special props for Fish, who's doing pregame, the game, and then the postgame show as well. He's putting in really, really long hours, and uh, he's super well-prepared and has done an excellent job, and so kudos to him. Next PD's point, Taylor Jenkins gets... Western Conference Coach of the Month. This is a no-brainer. Grizzlies, 12 wins in the month of December. Winning is December in team history. Best month under Taylor Jenkins. Led the NBA in a number of categories. This was an absolute no-brainer. I'm glad that nobody uh, threw a a monkey wrench into this and and, pulled somebody else's name out of a hat. Taylor Jenkins certainly deserved it. Not only for the wins, but when you look at what this team has gone through with all the people going in and out of protocols, Grizzlies now have gone, you know, four or five games without two of their better defenders in DeAnthony Melton and Dylan Brooks. And it doesn't matter who the Grizzlies come up with. You know, in the Cleveland game, you had Zaire Williams, who hadn't played in about a month since spraining his ankle in Miami. He comes in and gives you 10 points off the bench. You can put Killian Tilly in the starting lineup. Now, Killian's not scoring right now, but he is making winning basketball plays for you. Tyus Jones has elevated his game as a backup behind John ja Morant. Ja clearly has elevated his game. But no matter you know whether it's Jared Culver in the Brooklyn game or it's Zaire in the Cleveland game, it's no matter whoever the coach points at and says, get in the game, they're providing meaningful minutes. And that's beyond X's and O's. That is the, the culture that the Grizzlies have fostered. And Desmond Bain was asked about why are the Grizzlies so successful? He said, look, it's, it's our culture. And the culture is, and the culture that has been established by Taylor Jenkins is, make sure your players know that you 
care about them as much about them as people as you do about them as basketball players. That's why this group is so tightly knit. Uh, they're, they, they cheer for one another. They get along very well. There's no griping about shots or touches or, or any of the other stuff you will typically see. And everybody is happy for everybody else's success. Nobody's jealous of who's on the floor. Everybody knows they're going to get their shot, particularly now with COVID going around the NBA. Everybody on every team is going to get a shot. They're going to get an opportunity to do something. And uh, But Taylor has done a good job of fostering a culture. This group is very tightly knit, uh, and, and they're, they're just playing their butts off. And, and that's really all he has ever asked from this team is just, just play hard. Play hard and you lose, you live with the result. Don't play hard and lose. You can't live with that result because you didn't, you didn't play hard. You didn't give, your, didn't give your very best in that particular game. Uh, next, PD's point, John Morant, Western Conference Player of the Week. This, too, is, is pretty close to a no-brainer. Uh, there, there was a, a bit of commentary by Nick Wright on FS1 you know, worried about the, the player of the month in the Western Conference. Um, it, it goes to Donovan Mitchell. It doesn't go to LeBron James. LeBron had better numbers for the month, but the fact of the matter is the Lakers had a losing record in, in the month of December. And I, I just thought it was kind of interesting when and, – and look, I like Nick Wright. I've never met him. Usually I agree with him. He made the comment about the Western Conference Player of the Week. He said, well, let the kid have it, referring to Morant as opposed to LeBron James. You know, I'm sure he'd probably like to reel that in. Let the kid have it. Really? No, the kid earned it, particularly head to get head against LeBron James. So don't speak speak so dismissively of John Morant because he's really good and he's an all-star. And uh, I think the only mystery right now is whether Morant is an all-star starter or an all-star reserve for the Western Conference. Finally, the versatility of this basketball team, and I touched on it when I was talking about Taylor a few moments ago, the versatility of this team is, is, is just unbelievable. Um, you can put anybody on the floor at any time in any position, and they're going to figure out a way to be productive. I think about a guy like Brandon Clark, who has gotten himself on a really good run after coming back from a sore knee. Remember the end of last year? Brandon Clark was not in the rotation, barely played in the playoffs. Start of this season, not really in the rotation. John Conchar was getting those minutes early. Brandon Clark comes back from the injury, and he has been fantastic. I think one of the things that Brandon has done is that he's, he's gone away from the three-point shot, and he's been all attacking the rim, which really is his very, very best skill. The bottom line is, no matter who the Grizzlies put in the game, there are contributions, and I'm sure that there are other fan bases looking at the starting and five, starting five and saying, "Who the hell is Killian Tilly?" Uh, you know, well, we remember Jared Culver. Yeah, he didn't he didn't work out in Minnesota. You know, who is this Santi Aldama guy? But you know what? Whoever sees the floor for the Grizzlies, they are putting out productive minutes, and that's the most important thing. And again, part of it is the Grizzlies have drafted well. They have selected well. They've gotten guys who are not projects. They have gotten guys who are are really ready to plug and play. Uh, Aldama, multiple years in college. Uh, the only one who's a one-and-done is Zaire Williams, and, and we saw in the Cleveland game that he can come, on, come in off the bench after missing a month of action and, and be productive. So 
Credit to the Grizzlies front office for bringing the pieces in and credit to Taylor Jenkins and his staff for making sure that those pieces fit together and that they are all productive when they see the floor. Those are my PD's points for this particular episode. And uh, like I said, got a very special friend of the program coming up here in a moment in uh, Brian Anderson of the NBA on TNT. But first, we tell you that today's show is being brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook. Hockey fans, you know, DraftKings Sportsbook is an official sports betting partner of the NHL, and they've got a no-brainer offer that will make you a winner once any puck finds its way into the net. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. Now, the NHL got rid of ties in 2005. There's always a winner, even if it goes to a shootout. So you know someone's going to light the lamp at some point. So you're going to be a winner with this. Now, don't worry. If Sportsbook is not available in your state, it's all good because everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their very first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Throw down $1 on any NHL game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. That's promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. It must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get to our friend of the program. It's Brian Anderson. You know him as one of the prime voices for the NBA on TNT. Worked his way up. Uh, once upon a time, a sideline reporter for the San Antonio Spurs. Worked for the Golf Channel. Did minor league baseball for the San Antonio Missions. Got the Milwaukee Brewers play-by-play job and uh, continues to do that along with uh, baseball nationally for TBS. The NBA on TNT, as we talked about, and uh, also covers golf which he's a good golfer and he's great at covering the sport as well thrilled to have him back on the show to talk about a wide wide range of topics here's our friend of the program brian anderson brian i know that you have the unique experience of getting kind of the uh, the helicopter view of the entire nba you haven't called a, a grizzlies game yet this season but what have you seen from them at least tangentially this season Oh, man, I can't wait to uh, get to Memphis for MLK Day. So it'll be my sixth consecutive year to, to call the MLK Day game in Memphis. So I'm um, really looking forward to that. Grant Hill and I have done that the last few years. Stan Van Gundy's going to be with us this year. So um, I love the Grizzlies. I, I love the arena. And, you know, as soon as John Morant kind of hit the scene, they became one of my favorite stops. Um, on NBA League Pass has something to do with the television announcers as well. A little bit to do with the a little television bit, okay, announcers, good. but mostly <laughs> to do with the talent on the floor. Um, very entertaining team. I, I, you know, I'm a huge Taylor Jenkins fan. Uh, I spent a lot of years in the Spurs organization. He is off that Popovich tree through Mike Budenholzer, as you know, and as, as Grizzlies fans know. So the way they play, the style they play is something I'm very familiar with and comfortable watching and to me is the most entertaining way to to play you know it, it's a it's a superstar with uh, really good ancillary stars that go along with Ja but also a real team concept and I'm just really really glad they're buying into the defensive um, principles that Taylor has 
you know, installed there because that's ultimately what it comes down to. And, you know, you guys had that great run last year to get into the playoffs. And I just think um, it's, it's important on that next level, you have to stop people. And I think you guys stop people. And I think that's why you're, you're a little bit dangerous around the league. That's what I would say. It, it, it is starting to come around. It, it is literally a worse to first, at least when you go from November to December in, in terms of defensive um, ability. And the Grizzlies have certainly done well with that. Again, because you see the league on a, on a league-wide basis. And I think now the Grizzlies are going to play Cleveland uh, as we record this. And Cleveland and Memphis have to be two of the brighter success stories, unexpected perhaps success stories of the NBA which when we were talking amongst ourselves, that pivots the conversation to what are some of the teams that you kind of scratching your head going like, what in the world's going on with these guys? <laughs> well, the Lakers are always uh, that, you know, that that's the team and whether Anthony Davis is going to be able to come back and stay on the floor, like the major, that's a major story there. Portland is a, is a story in the West that, you know, you're just kind of wondering where they go. Um, Chicago has been a great story on the positive side. Um, I'm, I'm curious to see what they do. Uh, Cleveland actually has been a great surprise. J.B. Bickerstaff, you guys know him well, and um, I, I love what they're doing. And speaking of defense, you know they play defense. Uh, they've got a they've got a problem at the point guard position. I don't think Rondo is necessarily going to be a game changer. Uh, losing Rubio really hurt them. But they do have a little bit softer schedule uh, in this particular month. So I think they're, you know, we'll kind of find out what they are. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, the way I look at the West, especially, it is, it, it's three teams. It's Phoenix, Utah, and, of course, Golden State. Um, I'm not – I think those are the teams to beat. I think they have very similar systems. Again, there's a Greg Popovich thread through all three of those organizations – uh, with Kerr and Quinn Snyder and Monty Williams. So um, I think those are kind of the three teams. And then the East, it could be Brooklyn if Kyrie comes back and then, you know, Milwaukee. And then everybody else is in that group. And I would put Memphis in that group too, of that next tier that could make some noise. And I, I, I could I could see Memphis kind of just turning into the sons of, of last season. You know, they get on a run, they could make a run for sure. Um with the system oriented basketball. So yeah, I, I think the Lakers are a big surprise. I, I had, I had expectations for them, but obviously the biggest concern was them staying on the floor because they are really old uh, and they haven't been able to do that. And it's really been Anthony Davis, you know, that's been kind of the major, the major story there. So uh, the, that's kind of the way we look at it in the league. We're actually changing some of our scheduled games, you know, we're, uh, because of COVID, because of how teams are playing, we're starting to reshuffle the deck a little bit. And, you know, hopefully we get more Bulls games and more Grizzlies games. And, you know, I think that's from afar, at least Stan Van Gundy and I are kind of hoping that um, we start picking up teams like that, like you guys, like the Bulls, like the like the uh, Cavs. Um, so, yeah, we, we have a little bit of flexibility to do that. So from a network perspective, we're, we're eager to – start to dive into some of these markets as we get ready for the playoffs and, and Turner sports this year has the Western conference finals. We alternate every year with ABC ESPN. So, you know, we're zeroing in on the West 
more so than we normally would um, than we did last year when we had the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, you you mentioned Stan Van Gundy, and in your role as a national commentator, you have a variety of, of partners. You've worked with Grant Hill, you've worked with Reggie Miller, you work with Stan Van Gundy. I personally find Stan Van Gundy to be such an entertaining and educating listen. Uh, and I enjoy listening to him. I enjoy listening to him break things down. What is it like as a play-by-play guy to work with Stan Van Gundy, and, and what does he bring to the table from your standpoint? Yeah, I mean, if you want to get deep in the weeds from, from a play-by-play perspective, it is a bit of a change because um, he's a lot like Ron Darling on the baseball side. And what I mean by that, you know, normally if I'm going to work with Chris Weber or Grant Hill or Reggie Miller, Jim Jackson even, uh, I'm going to come – with more stats, with more what in my mind, I'm and you're the same way, but I'm always trying to cash in analysis with a number. So if they have some general analysis about why something has happened, I like to put a number on it. Well, with Stan, he's, he does all the numbers. That's the way his mind works. I don't want him to change that. So he's doing the analysis, the big picture analysis, driving it home with numbers. So for me, um, it's really, and I worked with him in the bubble in 2022 and I, I'm fascinated by it. I love, I love it. Uh, because for me, it takes a lot of pressure off the play by play guys. So really what we're tasked to do, and I've had conversations with Ian Eagle and Kevin Harlan, who've all worked with Stan as well, but we really try to make sure we're in the moment and we're seeing the moment and delivering the moment with some enthusiasm that it requires and then try to get out of the way. Um, that's really the most important thing. Baseball gives you chances to get out of the way a little bit better, like with a Ron Darling, who also comes with numbers. He, Ron's got a photographic memory. So anything he reads, he remembers, and he usually says. So, <laughs> so you might have some really cool nuggets of numbers that you've discussed, and he's just it, – it's part of his flow. So uh, the NBA is a little bit – tighter and different in that regard because it is quicker it is there is more pace and you know Stan's a brilliant guy and we want to make sure he has a lot of landing room uh to be able to you know his his uh, moments of truth are he's going to recognize something on the floor and then he's going to get a b to c and c might be the cash in moment I don't know if people are jiving with me on this I know you are Pete but if you cut him off after A or after B and try to get your own stuff in, you've really ruined his his zenith, you know, like what 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 he would deliver as his mic drop or his moment to cash in this point. His brother Jeff's a very similar except Jeff Jeff will go multiple possessions of silence. And I've had a lot of conversations about Mike with Mike Breen about this too. They're different in that regard. Jeff is has no problem going multiple possessions. So as a play-by-play guy, you may get in, you call the plays, and if he wants to go, he goes. If not, you keep you keep going with your own play-by-play. Stan always has something. So it's more, you know, can you get in, call the play, and then let him come back in with, with what he's seeing there. And as the game unfolds, so as you get into the first quarter and you start developing the storylines and he's really good about what's happened thus far, it's, He's excellent at going A to B to C. Then as the game get go, gets going, and if you have a good game uh, in the second half, 
that's where he shines the most. So it's almost like as a play-by-play guy, you tee up, tee up, and then by the end of the game, you're literally just calling the plays almost in a radio style, um, not in a description of radio style, but where you're you're not really doing much more than calling the plays and trying to hit those notes uh, that are typically going to end up on the highlights and then let Stan do his thing. Um, I do try to remind Stan a lot of what he has said earlier. I think that's, a, you know, one thing that I've tried to do as a play-by-play announcer, more so with Stan than others, because he throws a lot of spaghetti on the wall. And so you try to reset the audience with, hey, Stan, remember, you talked about this in the first quarter, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, that'll recue him to go there. But he's a fascinating guy. He's so smart. I mean, he's just He's funny. He's smart. He has such a great relationship with players around the league. He makes all of us better. We've just been having these John Madden discussions, you know, everybody has, I'm sure you have, but he's that way. Stan is like that in basketball. He's kind of a John Madden figure where he's sending these massive notes to our production team and he's forcing our producer and director to watch tape and, you know, be ready for all these things. It's like, it's really interesting. It's really interesting to be in his world. Well, and it, and it really shows it, it's a little bit of the Hubie Brown influence because Hubie was very, yes. very big with numbers as well. And that's entertaining and really insightful stuff. The best lesson I ever got when I started doing NBA play-by-play was from Steve Snapper Jones. And he said, can you and your partner describe the identity of the teams on the floor. Can you explain to your viewers and listeners, okay, Golden State plays this way. This is their style. This is their identity. And then once you set up the identity of both teams, and as the game unfolds, you now you have a baseline from which to work. Either they're playing to their identity or they're not playing to their identity. And then you know the, the analyst is going to tell you why they are or are not playing up to their identity. And so that, that, that's really fascinating. And Yeah, that's great. I haven't heard that. I love that. And, and you, you talked about you know getting out of the way, and you've had the opportunity to call so many big moments in your career, whether it's been baseball or golf uh, in the NBA, and you had the opportunity to call Steph Curry taking over as the leading three-point shooter in NBA history. It's at Madison Square Garden. You're with Reggie Miller. Uh, you know, the table is set about as well as it could be. What was going through your mind as you go into that game? You're pretty sure the record's going to be set. You don't know when it is going to happen. How do you prepare for all that to make sure that you get the cleanest call possible? Because, yeah, I mean, Golden State Radio, they're going to have a call. There are going to be other calls. But your call on TNT is going to be basically the NBA's call of record. How did you get your mind around that going into that game? Well, one thing, I didn't think about that before the game because I would have debilitated myself. So I, I don't think about that. I try not to. You know it's there, and you just but, you know, you just try to be in the moment. So, you know, um, I was asked, like, what's your call going to be? And I, don't, I didn't go in with a prepared call. I just wanted to kind of see it and feel it. I would say the only adjustment that I made what I, from what I would normally do is um, – Normally when a game, so he was only two away from, from owning the record himself, one away from tying the record when the game started. So normally as you start a game, you're not going to like get to your 10 voice. You're not going to get to your high screen, your loud, this moment. That's going to come later in the game as the game builds. So like right away, I was telling myself, just be ready to punch a call right away. Like he could go down off the tip and make a three pointer and, 
tie the record. And then he blows out his ACL and he never plays another game in the NBA. He's the record holder. After the next three, everybody's focused on two threes, but the next three, he's part of the record with Ray Allen. So, I mean, I, like right out of the gates, and I had to kind of cut Reggie off at one point because he got the ball and he shot it a minute into the game and made it. And um, normally at that time, as you know, we would be setting up the identity of the teams. We'd be setting up the game and where these teams have been and now how they've gotten here. But so we ditched all that because just because Curry, you know, he's going to try to get it over with Madison Square Garden. The place is on fire. Um, so that was really like the one mechanical adjustment just for all of us too, not just not just me and Reggie, but for the production team. And let's not go overboard with replays. Let's make sure because Golden State, even after a made basket, they'll take it out of the net. They will go right down the floor and Steph will get up a three. So uh, that was really the me- biggest mechanical and reminder for myself was to just be ready. And then whatever happened, happened. Like, I, I honestly don't remember the call. I've heard it since. But I, I remember Tim Roy, who had a great call with Warriors Radio. Um, you know, we were texting and he asked me, like, hey, great call, man. We, how'd you do? And I said, I don't remember what I said. I don't. I remember saying, like, there it is, or, which is what Tim said as well. And I said, I think we both said there it is because that is a there it is moment. That's a, like a milestone, you know. Um, but I don't, I didn't remember much after and I certainly didn't plan it. And the one thing about Curry, I will say is, and, and I've gotten a little bit of criticism for this, but I, I do, I do want people to know that he asked me directly to call him Stefan. And I did a golf event with him and we did the match. I don't know if you remember the match, uh, four, three, where he, paired with uh he was teammates uh, it was Mickelson and Charles Barkley and um Brady and uh and Stefan and he asked me directly he goes hey you know everybody calls me Steph his, his dad calls him Steph everybody I've called him Steph my whole life so yeah I think everybody I in also, our business is calling him Steph it's just easier everybody yeah he he asked me to call him Stefan and in this particular moment I think it was really important to him to be Stephen Curry sets the all-time three-point record. So I did that. But a lot of Warriors fans are like, oh, ah, Stephen, 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 you know, Stephen. <laughs> so that was the only thing, like, I had to kind of, you know, make that adjustment. And uh, to the point of, I also do NBA 2K. We went back and re-recorded Stephen Curry's name on everything, everything I say about him in NBA 2K. Because that's his preference. And, man, if you own anything, you own your own name. And if the man wants to be called Stephen Curry, I'm going to call him Stephen Curry. So that's that was like those two things were kind of the things that were on my mind. Like see it, call it, get out of the way, and call him Stephen. <laughs> wow. That, 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 that is fascinating. I, I never knew that. You know, it, it's yes. funny you bring up the there it is. I've never had the opportunity to call anything as monumental as that, but anytime there's been a franchise record for the Grizzlies for whatever reason, and again, I never plan a call outside a hammer nail coffin, and then I got to figure out when we think the Grizzlies are going to win a game. <laughs> you never plan anything because it just it just it just comes off sounding silly. But for whatever reason, anytime there is a record about to be set 
whether it's John Morant, you know, in the playoffs against Utah, 47 points, there it is. And, yes, and that, there it is. yeah, it just, it just seems to be, uh, just seems to be the most economical call. And you're right. It's like, look, viewers, there it is. Enjoy. Um, I'm going to leave you with, with one last thing. You know, we're talking about the match. A lot of golf on your resume. Uh, not mm-hmm. only are you an outstanding golfer, but do a ton of golf commentary. Uh, just, just give us one of the cool behind the scenes stories from one of the matches because the personalities, <laughs> the personalities are so big. Uh, not asking you to, to, to divulge anything out of school, but clearly with all those great personalities, there, there has to be something that just made you double over in laughter or scratch your head or something. Yeah, there are so many, um, there, that, that, uh, franchise is so cool. I'm glad we have a part of it. So, you know, I don't think people really understand what it is. Uh, I don't want to go too long here, but basically, so we're, we're the broadcaster of it. So, so we have a rights deal, let's call it the league. So the league in this case is a combination of Tom Brady, Tiger Woods and his representative representatives and Phil Mickelson and his representatives. So they are the league essentially. And we have a rights deal with them. So I think we have maybe four or five left with them. And we're going to do another one uh, in the summer, like two a year. It's kind of what our goal is. So we go in there and, you know, we produce this thing and we get great access and we get to talk to the players. And uh, the one thing like that blew me away was we were in Montana this past summer and Bryce and I'm kind of, I'm in the cart and I'm going around with Bryce and DeChambeau on the, the, Rehearsal day is what we call it, but the the day prior to the actual live event. And Bryson DeChambeau is shooting with his laser finder this neck in a fairway. Now, we are at elevation. We're about 8,000 feet in the air. So, But there's a neck in the fairway that is uh, 15 yards wide, 15 yards. It is 411 yards from where we are standing on the tee box. I was going to guess about 400. <laughs> yeah. He's looking at this shooting a 411. Four, I think I got that. And I'm like, there's no way. I've never seen that in my life. Uh, and there's and to hit a 15-year. And Pete, he took three swings at it. Two of them were in that 15-yard window at 411 yards from the tee box. Yes, we're in elevation. I don't care. 411 <laughs> is 411, man. It's not that big. Like, that's like 380, 370 normal conditions. So the fact that he did it, and I was just thinking, like, there's nobody here. I'm looking around going, I'm the only one watching it with his camp. This is one of the greatest human feats I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and so um, that was one of them. And then the other was just being with Phil Mickelson, and he, he did television uh, for the first time in the booth with Charles and I, and, you know, he, he has all his people around and, you know, when we're going through the production meeting and he's just very animated and just got his, all his people and the photographers there and it's a whole show. And it's like, Oh my God, unlike any production meeting we've ever had, everybody leaves the room. And then it's just me and Phil and Amanda Balionis, just us three, everybody leaves the room and Phil like on a dime changed his personality, looks at, both of us and says, okay, I have no idea what I'm doing now. Help me get through the broadcast. <laughs> and I was like, wait, what about that last 30 minutes that we just saw, you know, with the dog and pony show. So I love that. And he did a great job and men, 
he listened. We sat there, Amanda Balionis and I, for 30 minutes, and we gave him broadcasting 101, when to get in, when to get out. You're Phil Mickelson, do this. You know, we're, we just kind of laid it all out for him. We've done a number of these already. He's been on the other end as a player, obviously, but it's a different game in the, in the booth, you know. And so, and man, he, everything we told him, and this is like fire hose, you know, as fast as we could give it to him, he retained all of it, all of it, and delivered all of it beautifully and so that was really impressive um from his part so those are probably the two things that that stick out i have a i have a lot more stories we could sit at a bar all night and tell matt stories okay sounds good well you're you're <laughs> going to be in for the mlk day game so uh yes. th- there you go well you know and, and the people here in memphis have a real soft spot in their hearts for phil mickelson because in the years before the saint jude was a world golf championship and now will be a playoff event it was not well attended by the top players in the world. They were taking time off because, because of the U.S. Open. Phil would come every year and really bought into the whole mission of St. Jude. And yes. he came because he loved the course. And I think TPC Southwind is, is undersold by a, a lot of people. It really is an outstanding golf course. And, and those who are on the tour will tell you that. Phil would always come. And... All of the players were great with the St. Jude patients, but no one was better than Phil Mickelson. No. And uh, I know he's taken his share of criticism for this, that, and the other, but I, I think he is one of the best-hearted and biggest-hearted guys on the PGA Tour. And uh, Yes. He's and a yet, lot like Chuck, Pete. He's very yeah. similar to Charles. Yeah. They're, they're, they're very similar personalities. They're big, gregarious personalities. They love to gamble. They have made questionable choices in their lives, but it doesn't have to be just like black and whites down the middle. You know, that you can be both. Like he is one of the most charitable guys out there, Phil. His wife Amy is an, is an incredible human being and he she I'm sure drives a lot of what he does, but he's got it in him. He's he he knows it's about Phil when it needs to be about Phil. And there's no question that that exists. But he also knows like it's about a lot of other people too. Um throughout his journeys, whatever he's done, he's incredibly charitable. And a lot of it is not even publicized. A lot of it is, but there's a lot of things just like Barkley um, that's not publicized. And, you know, I saw Phil rip off hundred dollar bills at the match and just like as tips, you know, he's one of the biggest tippers on the tour and he takes care of people. And it just, uh, it's really impressive. And I'm, uh, I, you know, I don't know him that well. I've gotten to know him through the match. I knew I covered him when I covered golf. So there was that persona, but getting to know him better, you know, I do, I have a lot of respect for him. He's a family man. He's a great dad, um, great husband. And I think, you know, I think you can be both ways. Like he knows he's a star (laughs) and we need him to be the star. He and Charles both. And then they know, uh, they know how to, you know, take that narcissistic level of uh, performance out of their system too. B.A., thanks so much for the visit. Great, great catching up with you and look forward to seeing you in Memphis later this month. I can't wait to hear you again, man. Get yourself out of uh, COVID jail there, Pete. And that is indeed the hope. Get out of COVID isolation and back to the broadcast table as quickly as possible. Again, uh, keep our fingers crossed. Not sure uh, when that date's going to come, but we continue to test. We continue to isolate. We continue to do everything that we are uh, supposed to do to get back as quickly as possible. Hope that you enjoyed today's. uh, This is a little longer version, but it was a great conversation with Brian Anderson. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you enjoyed the show. This is the Grizz Weekly Grind, a proud affiliate of the Basketball Podcast Network. I'm Pete Pranica. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. 